And last week we kicked off a three-week message mini-series called This is the Year. It's a series that focuses on how to make healthy and positive changes in our lives. And the beginning of the year is a great time to be thinking about this sort of stuff. Because 2017 is going to come and it's going to go. And it can either be just another year or it can be a year of profound growth in our lives. And I believe we'd all like it to be the latter. And so in this series, we're talking about how to actually make that happen. Last week, we talked about the why. What should motivate a Christian to want to see change in their life? And we discovered that the driving force for change in our lives should be firstly a desire to honor the will of our Heavenly Father, and secondly, a desire to be effective in the roles that God has called us to serve in in life, be it husband, be it wife, be it student, be it child, be it worker, whatever it might be. This week, we're going to look at a few of the biggest factors that determine whether or not we succeed in our desire to see change in our lives. As the pastor of this church, I get emails from all over the world. You'd be amazed who finds you on the internet. Now, a lot of them are scams, but some of them are very real questions. And a few weeks ago, I received an email from a man named Clint. His email was short and to the point and the absolute opposite of light and fluffy. He just asked me outright, how can I get rid of the sexual, drug, and alcohol addictions that are destroying my life? Quick question for you, Pastor Jeff. It's a big question, right? It's a big question. And the answer that I sent him is going to be the basis for this message because whether the issue is addiction, whether the issue is sexual sin or a bad relationship, whatever it might be, the question is ultimately the same. There's a change in my life I know I need to make. How do I do it? How do I do it? How do I actually change? So let's dive in and look at this together. And while I can't provide an exhaustive teaching that's going to cover every aspect of this issue, I'm going to do my best to provide a message and a teaching that's helpful, that's practical, and that's actionable. That means you can do something with it. I believe there are four keys to real change. And the first key is to start with the most important thing. That might sound and seem obvious, but man, are we good at forgetting to keep the main thing the main thing. I don't know how you are, but I'm a master procrastinator. It's incredible the amount of work I can get done while I'm trying to avoid doing the work that I actually need to do. It's incredible how productive I can be when I'm procrastinating. But make a note of this. The first key is giving yourself wholeheartedly to a genuine relationship with Jesus. It's giving yourself wholeheartedly to a genuine relationship with Jesus. This is the main thing in all of life. It's a relationship with Jesus. Last week we talked about the reality that our behaviors, the things we do and say, flow out of our souls, out of our spirits. It's not that we're really all wonderful people deep down who just keep acting in ways that are the complete opposite of who we really are. It's not like, oh, it's strange that I got into that argument with you because that's not really who I am. Deep down, I'm a wonderful person and I was acting completely out of character. That's not really the truth. The reality is the things we say and the things we do flow out of who we really are. They reveal who we really are. And most of the time, a lot of the time, it's not really all that pretty. And so it never works when we try to change who we really are by just changing our words and our behaviors, changing what we do on the outside. It might work for a season of time, but sooner or later, who we really are comes out again. And that's the problem. 
we cannot change from the outside in. We cannot change who we really are by changing what we say and what we do. And Jesus made this absolutely clear in his famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. He addressed some of the laws from the Ten Commandments and he explained, you guys have been missing the big picture. You've been missing it. Let me explain it to you. And then he said stuff like this. He said, you've heard that it was said to those of old. He's referencing the Ten Commandments. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what Jesus was revealing was that when you follow any evil action, any evil word back to its source, when you go upstream, what you find is that it began with an evil thought of the mind or an evil desire of the heart. The problem is the soul and the spirit. We have evil thoughts and we have evil desires. And so we need an outside source to change us on the inside. If we're corrupt, if we're broken on the inside, we can't change ourselves. We need an external outside source to change us on the inside. Go ahead and make a note of that if you haven't done so already. We need an outside source to change us on the inside. Real change happens from the inside out. If you want to change your thinking, if you want to change your speech and your behavior, if you want to change who you really are, you've got to be changed on the soul and spirit level. And the truth is that only God can do that. But here's the good news. The Word of God tells us Jesus has done that. I put this on your outline. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love that verse. If you're a believer, you should love that verse too. And yet many of us, if we're honest, are probably thinking, yeah, but that hasn't really been my experience. I don't feel new. And, and if I'm a new creation, then, then how come I'm still battling the things I'm battling? How come I'm still struggling with the things I'm struggling with? I don't, I don't feel new. Well, Jesus also said this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to underline that word on your outlines, daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, there's a reason Jesus stuck the word daily in that teaching. And it's because following Jesus, being his disciple, putting him first, choosing the spirit over the flesh, all of those things are a daily decision. Have you noticed that? Your salvation is secure. It's not up for grabs day to day. Your salvation's secure. But the choice to live out your faith as a follower of Jesus is a daily decision. That's what Jesus said. Now if the choice to take up our cross and follow Jesus, whatever that means today, is a daily decision, then it would stand to reason, it would seem logical that living as a new creation is a daily decision too. In other words, having the strength, the righteousness, the joy, the peace, the discipline and self-control, all those things that come from the Spirit of God, actually living in that and experiencing the reality of it has to be a daily choice. There are things that we all have but we don't use every day. Maybe you have a wonderful coffee machine, but that doesn't mean coffee appears every day. You have to make use of it every day. We have the Holy Spirit in us if we put our faith in Jesus. We have love, peace, joy, all that good stuff. 
but we have to choose to live in that every day. We have to choose to make use of it every single day. And some of us are confused because we put our hand up in church years ago and gave our lives to Jesus. We haven't really had a daily relationship with him since then, and we're wondering why we don't feel like a new creation. Why don't I feel like a new creation? It's because it's a daily decision to walk with Jesus and experience all his benefits. And I had to use this chance to share one of my favorite verses. Psalm 103.2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. So many times the things that we pray for, God give me peace, are things that he's already given us. I think sometimes, most of the time, the Lord is saying, I've already given you peace. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Start living in it. Start believing it. Start claiming it. Have faith that you already have it. Start experiencing it. Make a note of this. It's a daily decision to walk with Jesus and experience all of his benefits. It's a daily decision. So if you really want to change at the core of who you are, your attitudes, your thoughts, and your motivations, you need God to change you on the spirit and soul level. Only a relationship with Jesus can and will do that. Only a relationship with Jesus. If you do everything else we talk about in this series, but you miss this, you miss beginning with a relationship with Jesus, you're only going to be fooling yourself. You're going to change for a season, but you're not going to really change on the core of who you are. You're just going to change the outside. It's going to last a few weeks, maybe a few months, but you won't be able to keep it up. Only God can change who we really are. So if you're looking to get serious about your relationship with God and really begin one, you're going to need to commit to a few simple things. I put them on your outline. We'll go through this quick. These are just some starting points. Plan. Please note that word. Plan. So God doesn't get the leftovers. God gets a planned daily time in God's word, the Bible. A time every day when you're going to sit down and read the Bible. Make it at least 15 minutes. Start with that. If you have trouble understanding or, or don't know where to start, just talk to me or email me and I'll get you some resources to help you with that. It can be a useful thing to find a good Bible teacher who will walk you through every verse of the book that you're reading in the Bible and you just follow along. We've got our whole sermon archive online for free if that would be helpful. Secondly, to get a relationship with God going, pray. Man, just pray for a few minutes before or after or both you read your Bible. Pray throughout the day. They don't have to be long prayers. Prayer is about a conversation with God. It's about bringing him in, inviting him into your day. Share your struggles with him throughout the day. Share your gratitude with him when something good happens or you notice something beautiful throughout the day. Prayer throughout the day will raise your awareness of God and remind you that he's always with you. And then lastly, just make being at church a priority. You're probably not going to bump into other people on the street who are going to say something encouraging to you in the area of your faith. Church is the best way to be encouraged by being around the people of God. It's an opportunity to worship, to take communion, to pray together and study God's word together. Jesus loves his church and he moves through his church. He blesses people through it. He didn't intend for Christians to be lone rangers. Our relationship with Jesus is the center of everything. It is the hub at the center of the wheel to which all the spokes, everything else in life is attached. If that is not there, the wheel collapses. Your whole life collapses. You've got to begin with a relationship with Jesus. I said this last week. I'll say it again. Hey, listen, if your marriage is having issues and you don't have a relationship with God, 
If you try and fix your marriage without pouring into that relationship with God, it's probably not going to work. But if you will pour yourself into a relationship with God, you will change and your marriage will change. So the first key, a genuine relationship with Jesus, is the foundation that makes keys number two and three work. So let me explain this. You've got to have a relationship with God in order for these next two to work. If you don't do that, you can wreck your life by following keys number two and three. Now, you're meant to fill in keys number two and three later on, but many of you are overachievers and you're going to do it now anyway. That's okay. I'm prepared for that. So the second key is ridding your life of things that will sabotage your success. And the third key is building things into your life that will set you up for success. We're going to unpack both of those in just a moment, but I need us to grasp this reality first. We need the wisdom of God, the wisdom that only the Holy Spirit provides to know how to do both these things effectively. We need the wisdom of God to tell us what to cut out of our lives, and we need the wisdom of God to tell us what to build into our lives. Can you see, just looking at those, how if you don't have the wisdom of God, you can destroy your life by cutting the wrong things out or building the wrong things in? You could damage relationships. You can do a whole world of damage if you're not being led by the wisdom of God in this. Ecclesiastes 10.10 is a great verse. Just so you know, I'm never going to say it's not a great verse. That's never going to happen. I'm never going to say this is an average verse, but it fits what we're talking about. They're all great. It says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. I like the way the New Living says it. I put it on your outlines. It says, using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. In modern business terms, we would say, don't work harder, work smarter. In the Christian context, it's about saying, be led by the Spirit. Utilize the wisdom that God has made available to you. You're going to save yourself a lot of pain and a lot of trouble if you do that. Because here's what I've realized. We are all a bunch of dull axes. Every single one of us. And many of us have exerted great effort to try and change our lives without success. Bible says we need the wisdom of God because it has the same effect as sharpening an ax. It makes the work easier and it makes it more effective. And here's the great news about wisdom. The word of God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He gives it freely and without reproach and it will be given to him. If you're not wise, ask God and he'll give you wisdom. That's the promise there. I always like to share this sort of pro tip right here. If you think you're wise and don't need the wisdom of God, you really need the wisdom of God because you're not only unwise, you're also delusional. So you need the wisdom of God. I have that verse memorized because I know that I lack wisdom. I know it. Does that mean I'm unwise? Does that mean I'm foolish? Only if I stubbornly refuse to ask the Lord for his wisdom. Only then am I foolish. If we're not asking God for his wisdom on a regular basis, then we have become delusional about our own wisdom. So as we seek to discern the things we should cut out of our lives and the things we should build into our lives, we've got to be led by the word of God, the spirit of God, and the wisdom of God. So let's dive into key number two here. As we said, if you didn't catch it, the second key is ridding your life of things that will sabotage your success. Ridding your life of things that will sabotage your success. Again, seems obvious. 
but we're really good at failing to do this. We'll decide this is the year I'm gonna eat healthy, but the cupboard is still stocked full of junk food. We'll decide that we're gonna give up alcohol because we're addicted, but we've still got a liquor cabinet. We'll decide that we're gonna put our relationship with God first this year, but we'll stay up so late on Facebook and watching TV that we don't have the energy to even get out of bed in the morning to have a time with the Lord. And we sabotage ourselves over and over and over again. If we're serious about changing our lives, if we're serious about getting in agreement with God on the things he wants to do in our lives, then we've gotta get rid of the things that are going to work against that goal. In the book of Hebrews in the Bible, there's an incredible chapter, chapter 11. It's known as the Hall of Faith. And the reason is because chapter 11 of Hebrews documents all these incredible people throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, who had great faith in God. And then the next chapter, chapter 12, begins by referencing these same Old Testament saints of incredible faith, and this is what it says. Let me read it to you. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. There's the key phrase. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The call is for you and I to let go of, get rid of the things that are getting in the way of us being effective followers of Jesus. The things that are slowing us down and holding us back. And when we struggle to do that, when we say, oh, it's hard, I don't wanna let this go, the Bible does what the Bible always does. It says, hey, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. It wasn't easy. Talked about it last week. It wasn't easy as he's sweating drops of blood dreading giving his life on the cross and the agony that's going to come upon him when he's separated from the Father and experiences the wrath of his own Father. But he goes with it. He follows through. Because throughout his life, Jesus just did not get bogged down in things that were gonna slow him down and make him ineffective. So let's get absolutely real here. Make a note of this. I cannot claim that I desire genuine change in my life if I'm unwilling to change the things in my life. I can't say, I really want this to change in my life. Okay, are you willing to change the things in your life? No. Then you don't really want to change. You don't really want to change. That's the truth. It's heavy, but some of us are living that out. Some of us Say we want change, but we're unwilling to let go of unhealthy relationships. We're unwilling to change the movies and the shows that we watch. We're unwilling to change what we look at on the internet. We're unwilling to change some of the places we hang out. We're unwilling to get rid of some of the things we keep in our home. I want to change, but not if it means changing that. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Translation, if you're playing with fire, you're going to get burned. If there's a change you want to make in your life, but you're keeping things in your life that are going to work against that, it's like sitting there with fire in your lap. You're going to catch on fire sooner or later. We might say, 
Well, I can't stop hanging out with them. They're my best friend. We go way back. They're family. We've known each other forever. Let me share a difficult truth with you. We've read this before in our studies through the gospel. Jesus Christ said this. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone, but I'm also not going to pretend that Jesus didn't say that. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, if it's really up in the air for you, this relationship or following Jesus, ah, what Jesus would say is, then you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what I've done for you. If it's even on the scales for you, this friendship or my relationship with Jesus, what Jesus is saying is he's saying that there's no comparison between the value of a relationship with Jesus and anything else, anything else. There's not even a ruler you can compare them on. There's no chart. Jesus is worth so much more than anything else. And there's going to be more than one occasion in your life where it will be a choice between obeying Jesus, following Jesus, or a relationship. And when those moments come, there can't be confusion for the Christian. The Christian has to know it's, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. He's the relationship we value above everything else. Now on this point, let me also share this. You can write this down. If we've tried to change in the past but failed, perhaps it's time to escalate our approach. Perhaps it's time to escalate our approach. There's a famous quote often misattributed to Einstein. We don't know who actually said it. That says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again while expecting a different result. It's also been well said that if you want something you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. If you've tried repeatedly to see change in an area of your life and you haven't been able to succeed, it's worth considering if the reason is because you've been unwilling to escalate your approach and become more radical in your actions. For example, if you're addicted to internet porn and you've never tried accountability software, you should do that. If you've tried accountability software and it didn't work for you, you should try an internet filter that someone else has the password to. And if you've tried that and it didn't work for you, you should maybe consider getting rid of the internet in your home and getting yourself a flip phone. For real, you can walk to the library. Getting more exercise is probably on your resolution list too. So you could do that as well. Check your email at the library or you can pray while you drive there. And we hear things like that and we go, oh, come on, come on. That seems a little bit extreme. Well, not if everything else hasn't worked. It's not extreme at all. It's simply the next step. It's the escalation of the approach that proves that you're actually serious. But when you've tried an approach, failed at it repeatedly, and you keep trying that same approach, that's basically saying, I don't really want to change. I'm not willing to raise the stakes. I'm just going to try the same thing again. I know it's not going to work, but at least if I try it again, I can tell myself I tried. But you really didn't because you knew it wasn't going to work. I want to challenge you if you failed over and over to escalate your approach. Don't try the same thing and expect a different result. 
If you've been in that pattern, I have one question for you. What are you going to do differently this year? Remember, the goal isn't just to do something different. The goal is to seek the Lord, ask him what he wants you to do, ask him what he wants to change in your life, and then be willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus in that area of your life. So let's make sure we're not sabotaging ourselves by refusing to make changes in our lives that would enable and empower us to grow as healthy followers of Jesus. But if we're unwilling to change those things in our lives, we're like a person who says, I want to learn how to swim. And before they get in their pool, they strap 30 pounds of weights on each ankle. And then they get in the pool and cry, I can't figure out why this isn't working. I'm trying. It's in the pool. You need to try a different approach. The third key, as we said, is building things into your life that will set you up for success. Everything we just talked about in the second key applies to this just in the opposite way. As much as we need to get serious and potentially escalate our approach to the things that will sabotage our success, we need to be just as intense and radical about building things into our life that will set us up for success. Let's get real, let's get really real. If you're single and you'd love to be in a relationship that's moving towards marriage, it's just not about getting things out of your life, is it? You need to get something into your life, like another person, right? You need to get something into your life. So where and how is God asking you to step out in faith and move toward that goal? Listen, I guarantee this. It's more than sitting at home praying and crying and asking God to send that special someone when God looks down and he's like, who are you giving me to work with, the UPS guy and the mailman? Throw me a bone here. Give me something to work with. So if you're single and you feel like the Lord has called you to be married, let me be honest and tell you what I would do. I would find out which church in the greater Vancouver area within an hour and a half radius has the largest singles ministry in my age demographic and I would go there. You can still come here on Sunday morning, but you can go to that other ministry with my blessing. Now, why would I do that? Because of statistics and probability. There is a billion times greater chance of you meeting somebody else who is single and loves Jesus if you go to the place where all the people who are single and love Jesus are hanging out. There's a lot more of them there than in your living room. Now there's a couple in this church, and I'm going to word this in a way so that it stays anonymous just among the huge numbers that we have here. No one will be able to figure out who this is. I'm going to call them uh, David and Jem. Okay, we'll call them David and Jem. David and Jem. Could, could be anybody. Could be anybody. Now, they met through online dating. And I know so many single Christians who are like, there's so many weirdos out there. And you know what? You're right. Tons of weirdos on the internet. But among all of them are some people who love Jesus. And the person who is willing to say, okay, I'll give online dating a try has a billion times greater chance of finding somebody than the person who's sitting in their living room and saying, Lord, just send them right to my door. Send them right to my door. Give God some opportunities to move in your life. Give them something to work with. If you're out of shape, don't stay at home and pray for healing. Go to the gym. Give God something to work with. If joining a gym hasn't worked, sign up for exercise classes. Escalate. Do something different. 
Get more radical. Do what you haven't done before. But don't keep things in your life that are going to sabotage you. Don't keep trying the same failed strategies over and over. And if you do, don't be surprised when you get the same old results. Aim higher. Are you serious about making this change? That's what it really comes down to. Fourth key. Lastly, let me share this. You can write this down. The fourth key is realizing that everybody's walk with Jesus is individual. Everybody's walk with Jesus is individual. The way we change, the speed with which we change, the ease with which we change, man, it looks different for everybody. It looks different for everybody. And let me be clear. This isn't the bailout point so that you can go, okay, I can just ignore everything else Jeff said, and then I'll just say, this is my walk. This is my walk. Don't judge my walk. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm sharing this to impress upon you that each of us has an obligation to figure out as individuals what we need to do to change. We gotta figure it out for ourselves, what it looks like in our lives. I've shared before that supernatural healing looks different in different people's lives. Some people are healed in an instant. They change it and it's, it's, it's just done. They're good for the rest of their lives. Some people are healed progressively. They get better and better over time as they continue to walk with the Lord. Some people are healed daily. They have a healing, but they've got to stand in it. They've got to claim it. They've got to live in faith that day. And if they don't, it goes away. It looks different for different people. Jesus even healed people differently, and they experienced healing in different ways. So some of us are going to make a change in our lives, and there's just going to be an epiphany. The the light bulb is going to go on, and we're never going to look back. We're never going to go back to how we used to be, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to start exercising. We're going to fall in love with it, and it'll be wonderful forever. But for some of us, change in an area of our lives is going to be a struggle till the day we die. It's never going to be easy, and it's always going to be a battle. But we're going to fight it because it's a battle worth fighting. It's for a purpose that is worth giving our lives to. It's about honoring God and stepping into the destiny he has for us. Comparisons always kill. There's nothing to be gained by looking at someone else's life and comparing it to your own. There's nothing to be gained by looking at someone else and saying, wow, they changed and they lost 40 pounds in three months or they tried online dating and they were married three months later. God doesn't expect you to live out anybody else's destiny, but he does expect you to live out your own. And if the Lord is asking you to move, if he's asking you to change in an area of your life, then you only need to be concerned with what he is asking you to do. But with that in mind, I want to encourage you that there's much wisdom. There is much wisdom in responding enthusiastically to the things that God calls us to do. Respond enthusiastically to what God calls you to do. Why? Because there tends to be a blessing in responding to God with your whole heart and offering him the best you can with what you have. Make a note of that. There tends to be a blessing in responding to God with your whole heart. In 2 Kings 13, in the Old Testament, there's recorded the final prophecy of a great prophet named Elisha. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't need to turn there. It says, When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him, and he wept over him, saying, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. King Jehoash is honoring Elisha, by mourning the fact that he's about to die, by saying the same words that Elisha said right before he said goodbye to his mentor, a prophet named Elijah. 
Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window, and he opened it. Then he said, shoot. And so he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. These were major enemies of Israel. Then he said, this is Elisha still speaking, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God, that's Elisha, was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. Here's the idea. King Jehoash doesn't know the number of times that he hits the ground with the arrows to obey what Elisha has told him to do is going to relate to the strength that God is going to empower his army with to defeat the Arameans. If he hits the ground a whole bunch of times, they're going to wipe him out. He hits it half-heartedly only three times, like, okay, let's do what the man of God says. He's going to win three battles. The principle is this. If you're not passionate about it, if you're not going to exercise faith, if you're not going to give yourself to the task wholeheartedly, why would you expect God to be passionate about it? Why would you expect that? God, I want to see change in this area of my life. Are you passionate about it? Eh. Are you going to do anything about it? Eh. Are you willing to change? Not really. But God, I expect you to be on fire about this issue and working all kinds of great change in my life. If you're not even passionate about it, why would you expect God to be? You know, it messed me up when I heard James McDonald say this about prayer. <laughs> Change the way I pray. He said, you wonder why God isn't moved by your prayers? You're not moved by your prayers. So we go, oh, God doesn't answer my prayers. How do you pray? Oh, Lord, you know, you're good, and I'm really struggling financially right now, and if you want to help me out, that's cool. But if it's not your will, and I'm just meant to suffer, then that's cool too. You're God, and that's great. That's, that's great. It's all great. If you're not even moved by your prayers, if it doesn't stir your heart, what do you think God is up there going like, oh my gosh, this is an urgent issue. I got to move. I got to send some angels over here and do a work of the Spirit over here. Come on, come on, come on. If you're not passionate about it, why would you expect God to be? Unless I've got vicarious issues, I'm not going to be passionate about my kid's basketball career if they're not passionate about it, I'm not going to be like, let's get you to practice. Let's see if you can make the team. If he's like, yeah, I don't really like basketball anyway. That's irrelevant. Let's go. That's not going to happen that way. Yes, change looks different for everybody. But every follower of Jesus has a call to give themselves wholeheartedly to whatever the Lord calls them to do. Including making changes in our lives. Let me share again, there are four keys to change. Number one, the hub at the center of the wheel. Give yourself wholeheartedly to a genuine relationship with Jesus. It's the foundation of everything. Get the wisdom of God and then go through steps two and three. Ridding your life of things that will sabotage your success. Filling your life with things that will set you up for success. And then lastly, realize everybody's walk is individual. It looks different for everybody. What we each need to be concerned with is what is the Lord calling us to do and that we need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to whatever it is that the Lord is calling us to do. How serious we are 
about change in our lives is generally revealed by the changes we are or are not willing to make in order to bring about that change. Is the Lord calling you to make a change in your life? Is he calling you to get something out of your life that's hindering you? Is he calling you to build something into your life that's going to set you up for success? We don't just want to go through our lives like hacking up relationships and kicking stuff out just to do something. We want to make the changes that God is asking us to make. That's what we want to do. We don't want to guess and we don't need to guess. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have the wisdom of God. And everything that God directs us to do is ultimately for our benefit. Everything. So let's seek his wisdom. Let's ask for his wisdom this morning. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And then, Lord, every single one of us, we just want to confess freely, Lord, we do not have the wisdom that we need to truly live life well. We need you, God. We need your wisdom. We confess it. And Lord, we petition you for it. We ask for it. God, would you give us your wisdom? Holy Spirit, would you give us the mind of Christ that your word says we have? Help us to bring you into our thought process as we evaluate, as we try to discern changes that you would have us make in our lives. Thank you that you're present in our thinking. We believe that. Holy Spirit, where our minds are just busy, would you bring a stillness and a peace that only you can? And would you speak with clarity as we endeavor to listen, as we desire to hear you this morning, Lord? Give us ears to hear. God, our greatest desire is that you would be honored in our lives, that you would be honored, that we would be effective for you. That's the end we're praying toward. That's the end that we are making change toward. So we just invite you to do in our lives today what it is that you want to do. We want to be people who agree with your work in our lives. We love you, God. Help us to honor you by giving you access to every part of our lives. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.